Bây giờ lại để đi cầu thang này Đúng rồi, sợ à, trẻ con ấy Bục hết rồi, cô Bục hết rồi On this second episode in Bumatok, I decided to venture out into the further outer reaches from the city, into the mountainous and forested regions surrounding the central Vietnamese city. There, I stumbled upon an integral part of Vietnamese village culture, the stilted house. And that's what this episode is all about. Welcome to the Vietnamese Narrative Podcast. As the name suggests, stilt houses are essentially houses that are elevated above the ground by, you guessed it, stilts. It is said that one benefit of stilt houses is that it protects the house against flooding as well as ground creatures. The space underneath the stilt house is usually used for storage. A key characteristic of the Vietnamese stilt house is that it has a smaller front door than other stilt houses in other geographical areas. The development of the stilt house was not exclusive to only Vietnamese regions, but around the world too, with each area developing its own style of stilt house. Some examples are the Thai stilt house, which is elevated over rivers and water rather than on the ground, Kelong houses, which are primarily purposed for fishing families, and Bahay Kubos, most prevalent in the Philippines. In Vietnam, stilt houses can be found in the central northern mountainous and forested regions. I went to three villages, or Bung as they are called in Vietnamese, Bung Bor, Bung Kop, and Bung Akol Dong. Three of these villages are all within the same central Vietnamese area and are all in the Dak Lak province. However, three of these villages are all fundamentally different, and in this episode, I will explain that difference. Firstly, I visited a family in Bung Kop. The family is 23 kilometers away from central Bung Atok, the furthest of the three villages. The village is near Draenur Waterfall, which borders Dak Nong province, but the waterfall itself is still a part of Dak Lak. It's a relatively small village with a couple of hundred residents. The village itself consists mostly of pepper fields as well as other crops. Houses are few and far in between. The houses are mainly stilt houses. There are only one or two houses that are built from the ground up with bricks and cement foundations in the area. The population here is all part of the Ede tribe. Most of the population here are descendants of previous generations of the Ade people who inhabited the area hundreds of years ago. The family I met is a small family of seven, two brothers, three sisters, and their children. All of the siblings within the family that I met are not engaged to any partners. They are simply siblings. Their parents had passed away two or three years ago, and now they live together in a small wooden stilt house in the middle of the village. <laughs> They all live in a stilt house that was built several decades ago by their grandparents. The wear and tear are evident by the looks and the quality of the wooden reinforcements on the roof. They replaced the wooden roof layering with iron corrugated sheets and tiles a year ago. Inside the house in the front section are clothes hung on small scaffolding over two thin mattresses placed on the ground. Next to the mattresses are a couple of drawers that store clothes, personal belongings, as well as books and newspapers. Two of the three small sisters are sitting on a table next to the drawers and studying third fourth grade math. On the table is a small candle and a couple of erasers and pencils that are almost worn out. In the back section of the stilt house are two hammocks hung across two pillars in the middle of the house itself. Opposite those hammocks is the kitchen. The kitchen is basic and rudimentary. 
Metal sheets cover the concrete area for burning firewood, and on top of the metal sheets are a kettle and two small iron skillet pans. On the side are container boxes filled with vegetables, spices, sauces, and oils, as well as instant noodles, bags of rice, and other cooking necessities. The family usually sits together in the middle of a house, in front of the hammocks on the floor, and eats rice together at night, when the brothers and sisters return home from a hard day's work. The meals usually rice with a soup made from boiled watercress or other vegetables, with a bit of sourness from lemons and some meat dish made from whatever was available. The family lives in a simple, peaceful life in this stilt house. My guy and I had the chance to talk to the family. One of the brothers is named Nakam, and the other sister is named Natgai. <laughs> Now I wish if only our people have money, we can build proper houses, but we don't have that kind of money anyways. For our current stilt house is pretty cool and not too hot because of the wind, it is getting a bit old. We can make it like Gotong village, very modern. Since our parents just passed away, we are wanting to fix this house a little bit, especially the floor. The floor is particularly old. Our family mainly farms peppers. Occasionally, I take up a construction job to build houses in other villages. These jobs make little money, but it's enough to put food on the table every day. Not to mention the bills. Water we take from a local well. The electricity comes from the national grid, Huating. Now, it's around 3,000 dong per kilogram of electricity. Living here with the whole family is peaceful, though. The family gather around the kitchen to eat rice every day. Our family is content. Nat Gai works for the nearby waterfall tourist attraction, Drainer, and Nakam occasionally is a construction worker to help build houses, as well as he's a farmer, farming different root vegetables and pepper. The younger brothers and sisters all look out for one another when the bigger siblings go to work in the morning. They go to a school in this rural village. Nakam describes the conditions that he and his family live in, conditions that are meager to them, 
but all they need to survive. They talk more about their education. There's a small school in the area, but a bit far away. It's a primary school. The high school is at a farther district. And uh, though we have a small discount, we still have to pay the fees. Back then, this school used to distribute books and stationaries, but now we have to buy them ourselves. What we studied was horrible. The school was old and rotting. Now it has certainly improved a lot. We used to walk to and from school every day. We learned literature, math, how to write and how to read in school, only the basics. I stopped learning at fifth grade. As long as I know how to read, write, and do simple math that one plus one is two, I should be good. My sister learned all the way to 12th grade, then returned home to look after the children. We couldn't go to college if we wanted to because we don't have the money. Back, in the, back to the farms we go. There are barely any opportunities here anyways. Now that hopefully I've set the ground to understand living conditions of the family, I will make some important summaries of my conversation as well as what I found out. The village that this family lives in is far away from any major city hub. Most of the households in this village live in traditional stilt houses and are affiliated with the Ede tribe. Most households and family depend on farming for income as well as sustenance. The family earns little income working low-level, low-paying jobs, but they claim it's enough to pay for necessities and put food on the table. Because of their location, job opportunities are difficult as well as an access to education and services are meager. But the most important thing is that they're happy. The family leads a peaceful, content, and happy life together. Keep in mind these summaries as we move to our next village, Bumbor. Bor village is closer to central Bumatul, about 18 kilometers away. Bor village is the biggest of the three villages, both in terms of land area as well as population size. It's rumored that this village used to be where the stilt house concentration was the densest. However, as I visited this village, the concentration is nowhere near what it once was. The majority of the houses in this village are brick and cemented houses. Only a handful of stilt houses remain in this populated village. There are some factors that deserve to be taken into account, though. Firstly, as I drove through this village, the amount of land dedicated to farming and agriculture is not as much as Kwap village. Most of the land is for houses, roads, as well as smaller mom-and-pop shops. And smaller service centers, too, like local clinics, as well as kindergartens and daycares. There's only one medium-sized pepper plantation that lies at the outer edge of the village. Secondly, the village itself is very near to a highway, or boulevard number 26 to be specific. Perhaps because of this proximity to a highway, 
commuting between village and the bigger city is made easier and therefore opens up more job opportunities. The lack of farmland corroborates what I just mentioned. You can tell us that farming is not the main source of income for the village people here. Furthermore, the availability of services in this village suggests a better standard of life in Boar Village compared to the first village. Understanding the details of the village will help us understand an alarming trend that will be explained later in this episode. Upon driving into the village, I was greeted by a family who knows the tour guide I was traveling with throughout my trip. We were greeted by a housewarming party that they are hosting for their newly built house. Family members from nearby or far away reunited in this village for a feast worthy of a king to celebrate the opening of the new house. The feast consists of traditional Vietnamese rice sheet cakes, goat meat, chicken, pork, rice dishes, noodles, fruits, coffee, as well as alcohol. It's a tradition for people to live in the mid-region of Vietnam that they never leave a party early. Leaving a party early is a sign of disrespect and ungratefulness. Hence, if they do decide to stay around, they will be asked to join others for many rounds of alcohol shots. My guide told me that these people are especially heavy drinkers. I stuck around for several hours to join the family for their housewarming party, but I stuck to coffee instead. This family has several coffee plants in their backyard, and they roast, process, and distill the coffee themselves. It was my first time drinking black coffee. I noticed a fruity, earthy taste that I was frankly amazed by, but the celebrations never failed to disappoint. The newly built house was not too big a house, though bigger than the stilt house that they lived in before. I was able to compare the two houses because the stilt house was placed next to the new house itself. Fully furnished with utility equipment, furniture, and lights, the house was a step up from what the family lived in before. To the owner, the house is a symbol of how far they have come, a symbol of their success and prosperity. More than just a wealth symbol, the house was the culmination of their decades of hard work. The living area had a big sofa, medium coffee table, and a 52-inch TV. The kitchen had gas stoves, an oven, and a proper sink. The different rooms are furnished with a mattress, mosquito nets, a table, a chair, as well as a fan. There are holes in the walls throughout the house for ventilation. The house was two-story tall. On the second floor was a guest bedroom, as well as a laundry room fitted with water pipes and a brand new Electrolux washing machine. All in all, the new house was fully furnished with what any family could ask for. I had the chance to talk to the mother of the owner of this new house. Stilt houses back then are abundant here. There's one that was in the progress to the left. The stilt house that we have now, we would probably use it to store wheat, wood, and farming supplies. It's a tradition to use wood for fire. We can't simply abandon that tradition. Now, there are no more stilt houses here. A lot of modern houses. There's really only one or two left in the village. Back then, stilt houses were many meters long. Now, there's none of those left. Everything's modernized. I lived here two or three generations now, and things have changed. Ừ. 
sống sẽ cho con tư tưởng sống cũng khó khăn lắm khó khăn lắm tại vì cô một cô cha lãnh mẹ từ hồi hồi nhỏ lúc 5 tuổi có cô bác có nhận nuôi cô có cô bác này cũng không có con nhận nuôi cô về nuôi ăn học đến lớn thì cô lấy chồng cũng khổ lấy chồng bên chồng cũng khổ cô tự lo làm không có sống nhờ vì ai hết I led a hard life. My son and I had our hardships. I lived in the rough since I didn't have parents. When I was five years old, an extended relative took me in and raised me up, fed me and took me to school. When I grew up, I got married, but it was still miserable. I had to do everything by myself, and the state only partially helped me out and contributed a little bit to the poor. But I didn't receive anything. Even a small pack of salt they refused to give. But I always contribute to the state. I oblige to all the donation funds, even when I don't have enough. I borrow to make sure I make all the payment. And one thing you should know, there's a statement in the area, they inherit all the benefits that come with it. But I have no one. So I don't have anything. I don't get anything. But I don't beg for anything, because that's theirs. My sweat and tears are mine. I don't live for anyone. Though others make more money than me, our family leads a simple life, and I'm happy. As long as we have somewhere to live, that's good enough for me. Chưa nói người nghèo ở đây á, mà họ có người cán bộ á là gia đình của họ là được được hưởng hết đấy. Mình không có ai thì mình chẳng được hưởng cái gì hết. Má ở đây á. mình cũng không hết thôi cái đó là của người của người ta <cười> mồ hôi nước mắt của mình là của mình đó là của người ta mình không sống vì ai cả ờ. mình sống vì mình mình độc lập mình mình hạnh phúc mình, mình sống mình sống đơn giản dù là người ta làm người ta làm nhiều tiền hơn mình nhà mình làm đơn giản cũng mừng <cười> có có chỗ mình ăn ở chui ra chui vào che nắng che mưa là được hơn sao vậy mất năm không có vài tháng à tôi xây từ tháng ba đến tháng năm tháng tháng sáu hai tháng thì cũng nhanh chứ hai tháng tại vì người nhà làm nếu mà đông người thì nhanh làm đông người thì nhanh cái này người nhà làm à Building this house took a couple of months, from March to May or June, three months. It took that long because only family members were building it. If we hired workers, it would take far less time. The local community occasionally helps and we pay them by the day. They won't help for free. We give them around 300,000 a day or so. Giúp vẫn cho tiền thôi. Người ta ví dụ như một ngày 500, mình bột 300. To the family, their newly built house is a symbol of their success and the wealth that they have amassed. Like many other households within this village, they had decided to move from living in a traditional stilt house to a more modern brick house. We can also derive several takeaways from this village, too. The village's proximity to big highways that connect to the main city as well as its abundance of services creates numerous higher-paying job opportunities. And the bulk of the former stilt house concentration within this village diminished as residents chose to live in more modern houses. Also, a brick house can also be seen as a status and wealth symbol. And as a result, 
the function of a stilt house has become obsolete. Now, let's head to the last village, Mung Echo Dome. Echo Dome Village is a special case because it's not actually really considered a village, occupying only a small area of land in the center of Mumatok City. Echo Dome Village is perhaps best known for tourism. Advertised heavily on social media as well as travel sites, Echo Dome is best called a tourist zone rather than a village. It can be called this way for many reasons. Firstly, there is a running joke amongst the Bumatok people that Echo Dome Village is the richest village of all villages. This wealth comes from the plethora of cafes, homestays, restaurants, tourist check-in spots, as well as cultural sites that are placed within the area. Secondly, over the past several years, the number of residents living traditionally in the area in stilt houses disappeared. Many residents either moved to brick houses in other villages or they transformed their houses into homestays and live within the city. Thirdly, coinciding with the disappearance of traditional tribal village people is the increase in the construction of modern exhibition stilt houses. Many residents claim that many people built fake stilt houses to show tourists what a house is like. It's not traditional, it's more performative. Hence, Echo Dome was the smallest yet most developed village out of the three that I visited. I visited an ecotourism area within the village and I saw signs that said stilt house check-in spots, as well as cafes and restaurants this way or cultural exhibition center 30 meters ahead. There are no interviews in this section of the episode simply because there was no one to interview. The village culture of the Ede people had seemingly been reconstructed, distorted, and adapted for tourists' eyes. Hence, this follows a theme that has been discussed in this podcast before, the balance between tradition and tourism. Village and tribal culture within the Echo Dome village is not being correctly represented and instead is being distorted for tourists. The original people who lived here probably did not have a say in what would eventually happen to their village. The evolution of tourism in this area happened as Bumatok became more and more popular amongst tourists. Alongside the exile house, Bumatok has other famous sites, such as the Kaidoan Buddhist Temple, Coffee Museum, and Eco Coffee Farms, as well as famous Vietnamese monuments. As more and more tourists enter the village, an opportunity for tourist exploitation is spotted by business owners as well as locals alike. Therefore, the Echo Dong village has been commodified into a tourist attraction. I went to three villages, or Bung as they're called in Vietnamese. Bung Bor, Bung Khop, and Bung Echo Dong. Three of these villages are all in the same central Vietnamese area. However, they're all different. Over this episode, I summed up what I found out about all three villages and I noticed how they're all different as well as a trend that linked them up. In Kwap Village, the furthest from any major travel hub, most of the households in the village live in traditional stilt houses and are affiliated with their tribe. Most households in the family in the village depend on farming for income as well as sustenance, but the families earn little income, working low-level, low-paying jobs, but they claim that it's enough to pay for necessities. Because of their location, job opportunities as well as access to education services are difficult. In Boar Village, closer to Bumutuk and to a major highway, the village's proximity to big highways that connect the main city, as well as its abundance of services, create numerous higher-paying job opportunities, and the bulk of the former stilt house concentration within this village diminished. 
as residents actively chose to live in more modern houses. In Echo Dome Village, in the heart of Bumethu, tourism has commodified the village into an attraction, reconstructing semblances of tribal and village culture for tourists to see. Because of tourism, it's also the most developed village. However, the population of traditional village people diminished significantly too. The comparisons of these three villages reveal a lot of aspects of the Vietnamese narrative, cultural retention and urbanization. Geographically, a trend can be noticed based on the location of the villages in Bumethu, the central hub of the central Vietnamese region. The further away the village is from the city or a major highway or transportation route, the less likely that they'll have access to quality services and education, as well as higher paying job opportunities. This correlates with the concentration of stilt houses and farmland distribution too. The further away a village is, the more concentrated the stilt house will be, since the households in further villages have less income available to switch to more modern houses. In further villages, because of a lack of higher paying jobs, more households depend on farming for income as well as their food. This explains the larger designation of land for farming in Kwop village compared to Boer or Akodong villages. This trend tells us about the effect of urbanization as well as the development of tourism and cultural retention, which is defined as the act of retaining the culture of a specific ethnic group of people, especially when there's reason to believe that the culture, though in action, may be lost, specifically for the case of the traditional Ede Stilthouse culture. As a city like Bumatok develops into a bigger central hub, it will provide citizens with more opportunities to make a living. However, the development of the city will also correlate to the development of tourism. As tourism thrive on the island, in the case of the Akodong village, aspects of tribal culture are being reconstructed and fabricated for tourism purposes. This is negatively reshaping the narrative surrounding the Aide people and is actively shrinking the scope of the understanding of their culture. Moreover, a more noticeable trend is that as more traditional households have more income, they're actively choosing to move into a modern house. They make this choice because society apparently is showing that their way of life is inherently outdated. They view their their living in slums. This viewpoint reflects the effect of urbanization. As conditions improve, it renders traditional ways of living inadequate as it shows that there are better, more comfortable alternatives. By not preserving traditional stilt house culture and tribal village culture, this inaction directly threatens cultural retention. Perhaps I want to leave you with this question. Can urbanization and cultural retention coexist? Or does urbanization ultimately threaten cultural retention by rendering rendering an aspect of a culture obsolete? Answering this question will undoubtedly reveal a lot about the nature of change in the Vietnamese narrative.